Father, we ask you would meet us wherever we are this morning. As we come into this room, that you would speak to us. You'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see. You would transform our hearts to look more like you, Jesus. So as we look at this issue of what it means to have peace with creation, would you speak directly to us? Give us clarity on what that means for us that follow you, Jesus. We ask that you would do it in your name. Amen. Well, we have been walking through a series leading up to Christmas called Advent. If you're not familiar with um, the word Advent, it actually is from the Latin. It means arrival or coming. And the church has celebrated Advent for years, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas as Jesus comes. And I don't know about you, does anybody have family coming into town for the holidays? I know sometimes when I have family coming into town, specifically when they fly into the airport, and I'll drive down to the airport and I'll sit in the cell phone parking lot. And I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for the text to come through. We landed, we touched down, we have our luggage, come grab us. Now, depending on who I'm picking up, Sometimes I'm excited about that arrival, and sometimes maybe not so much. But when I am excited, when somebody is coming in that I'm looking forward to spending time with, that I've been away from from a long time, I cannot wait as I'm sitting in that parking lot waiting for them to call me or to text me to come and see them face to face and be with them. The same is true for God's people as they were waiting for a Messiah, they're waiting in the Old Testament. Clearly, there's something wrong with our world. Things are broken. They're not as they should be. And there's a promise in the Bible that God says, I am going to send one that's going to make it all right. It's going to fix it. And so they were waiting in expectation. That's not a word. Expectation? <laughs> I don't think it is. They were expectantly waiting for their Messiah to come. And we should wait as well. And we believe that the first arrival is found in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he did come to make things right, but he's going to come back again. And he's going to make all things right. Because even though we can get a taste of the goodness of God in his kingdom now because of Jesus and his spirit, we're still waiting. Our world is still broken. We see it. We experience it. And we need God to come back again. And so we've been talking about, for these four weeks, peace on earth, this idea of peace on earth, that we have been broken and we need peace. And this word peace in the Old Testament is the word shalom. And it's a deeper meaning than just maybe we kind of throw out haphazardly of peace and what peace might mean in, in Christmas. I love this scholar's definition of this when he's talking about peace and shalom. He says this, he says, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. In English, we call it peace, but it means far more than just peace of mind or ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as the creator and savior opens doors and speaks welcome to the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things are supposed to be. <clears throat> and it's clear things aren't the way they are supposed to be on a lot of elements. And so the last three weeks, we've been talking about this brokenness and how we need to regain peace or connection or shalom. We talked about our brokenness with God because of what the Bible calls sin. 
and that we need peace and reconciliation. We can have that because of Jesus. We can have peace with God. We talked about the brokenness in our relationships horizontally, that we are broken and we need to be forgiven and we need to forgive others. And we can do that through Jesus. We need peace with one another. We talked last week about peace within ourselves, how we lie down at night and we feel anxious and we feel shame and we feel fear and what Jesus does when he comes and how that can unwind that narrative and how we can actually have peace with ourselves. Peace with God, peace with each other, and peace with ourselves. Today we're going to talk about peace with creation. And there's a couple different ways we could talk about creation. We want to talk one specific way this morning about what it looks like to make things right again as they are broken in part of creation. And the thing is, when you begin to follow Jesus and you have peace with God, and you have peace with one another, and you have peace with yourself, now you can step into a space where you can have peace with creation. God can actually use you to be somebody that is an agent of shalom, that you can as you live and love people and you give your life for them, you can begin to experience what it means to have cre- peace with creation. Where we want to talk this morning specifically about creation, because again, we could talk of a lot of things. We could talk about our vocation. We could talk about tons of things that has to go do with creation. But I want to specifically talk about families this morning. We want to talk about families this morning in the midst of creation. Because of the creational blueprint, as Jesus Uh, and God and the Spirit give to the first man and woman in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, be fruitful and multiply. And the way that there are generations is because God has created this unit called the family. And we've seen that families are broken all over our world. And we want to talk specifically about who we are as a church, and some of our DNA with this issue. How do we engage and love people well so that there can be peace again in our families and in our communities? And for some of you, you've heard us talk about Thrive and our partnership with these young men and young women that are here on campus that we're neighbors to and their Age Out program, which we're still going to lean into, we're still going to be passionate about. But for some of you that are new to our church, you don't know much about our DNA when it comes to foster care, specifically with little ones. And so we're going to talk about that this morning, what it looks like to engage this idea and this community with wholeness and with peace because of what Jesus has done for us, that we can be agents of shalom. We've talked about this multiple times, and one of my favorite definitions of a Christian disciple, somebody that follows Jesus, is by this pastor in Chicago, David Swanson. He says this, he says, a Christian disciple is somebody that follows Jesus to become like Jesus in order to do what Jesus does. Somebody that follows Jesus to become like Jesus in order to do what Jesus does. Some people follow Jesus, but they kind of follow at a distance. Some people follow Jesus, but they don't become like him because they're not really paying attention, and some don't do what he does. But for a full Christian disciple, which we all feel we are called to be, we need to follow him to become like him to do what he does. Well, what does Jesus do? He gives up his life for the other. He sacrifices himself for the good of other people. And we want to be a community that does that. Specifically, we want to be a community that does that in families and foster care. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says it this way, as Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
We want to be people that imitate God. What is God like? We're going to hear about that this morning, specifically with families and folks in the foster care and adoption system. James 1.27 says this, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is that this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. If you're unaware, the foster care crisis in our world and even specifically in our state has come to an all-time high about a decade ago. And there were some pastors that got together, some with redemption, some outside of redemption, and said, we need to engage this issue. This is something we need to step into proactively. And so they started a group called AZ-127. It's based on the verse we just read, James 127. And since 2010, close to 2,000 families from more than 90 churches have started this process of fostering or adopting with AZ-127. So that started in 2010. Through 2017, those families have adopted 450 children and fostered more than 2,000 children. And for us specifically at Redemption Peoria, last July, we did a child dedication. We brought up our kids and we said, hey, we want to dedicate these children to the Lord. And we want to be a community that wraps ourselves around them and cares for them and loves them. Between the two services, we had 11 children up here. Out of those 11, five of them were adopted. Because of this conversation we are intentionally having about what does it look like for us to move into this space to love our community. It's a beautiful picture. Tyler Johnson, who is the pastor and one of the founders of AZ-127, of Redemption, Tyler is, he says it this way, talking about this issue. He says, our lives have taken on the shape of Jesus's life, this dying and being resurrected. And you don't find resurrection until you're dying in sacrificial love on behalf of somebody else what it means to be a Christian, to die and to love on behalf of somebody else. Specifically about foster care and adoption, he says this. He says, theologically, it feels very much like you're preparing people to suffer, which is what the Bible is doing all the time. He says, I don't think the gospel answers to kind of clench your teeth and do it, but instead we need an inner life. And so what the rest of our time is going to look like this morning is I'm going to invite Joe Bates to come up, and he's going to share some of the heart of God when it comes to this issue and being connected with our family in, our, in the midst of our communities. Joe and Victoria Bates have been a part of our church for a long time as leaders. They lead the foster care and kinship and adoption group that meets once a month. You'll hear about that. Joe's going to speak a little bit and kind of share his heart for this issue. And then we're going to watch a video of somebody that's in this space. And then we're going to have a panel up here of folks in our congregation that have engaged this space. And what does it actually look like for them? So as Joe makes his way up, here's what I want you to hear, and I'll double down on this. Joe will say this as well. Um, this in no way is to like make you feel guilty, like, oh, I have to foster when I leave. That's not the point of this. The point of this is to say, okay, what does it look like to have peace on earth, specifically peace with creation? What's God's heart for us, and then how do we engage? Because some of you may feel called to engage in foster care after this conversation, like many of those families that were up here in July. But some of you, you're not going to be in that place. But there are options for you to engage on a very, very tangible level with this community and with this church. So 
Joe Bates, you did so well in first service. You're so handsome. So well-spoken. This is Joe Bates. He's going to share a little bit from the scriptures, from his heart, to share about God's heart for this issue. And then we'll watch a video, and we'll have a panel, and uh, we'll close. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. All right. Well, you guys are my second time getting to be able to uh, speak in front of church. So first service was my first time speaking to our congregation. So this is new for me, but I got the first one out of the way already, so you guys get hopefully a little bit more refined. Um, But thank you for letting me come and speak to you guys. Um, If I was ever going to get to have a chance to to talk to our church about something I'm passionate about, this is it. I'm so glad that this is the first topic that I ever get to bring up to our church. my wife, Victoria, is sitting over here. Today is our 12-year wedding anniversary. And, yep, so we got married young. We were 20 when we got married. And uh, in the first 10 years of our marriage, uh, nine children have come into our home, three biologically. Um, and it's been a wild ride. So currently we have six children in our home. None of them are in foster care, three that have been adopted, um, and three biological um, so the past two years, we've just been taking it easy, relaxing, you know, with six children. Um, but uh, today when I get to talk to you, I get to talk to you guys as family. There's no family that is more intimate or more permanent than who's sitting in this room right now. Right? It's thicker than blood. When we've been adopted into Christ's family, it's Christ's blood that unites us. Not anything that's flowing through our veins, but the blood that has been spent on our behalf that makes us family. And we're going to live for eternity with each other. So we might as well get used to each other, right? Because this is more permanent than our biological family. It's more permanent than anything else that we're going to experience. We have been brought into a family of believers, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. God is good all the time. All the time. I'll try again. God is good. All the time. time. Amen. All right. (laughs) Okay. So um, as you can tell already, I'm long-winded. So I will try to keep it um, concise. I'm going to go to what I've written down so that I don't go on for too long. But the purpose of me getting up here first, I'm going to share just the theological kind of underpinnings of why God cares about this. Why is the church, should we engage in this space why should we care about it? We're going to watch a short video of a gal in Dallas, who, a single lady who is fostered in her story. We're going to have a couple families come up from our congregation and share a little bit about their story. But first, why? Why are we even doing this? And I'm going to start first with who is God? Reading from Psalms 68, 4 through 6 in the NIV, it says this, Sing to God, sing praises of his name, Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Who is God? A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. He's setting the lonely in families. He cares for the prisoners, for the sick, for the poor. That's who he is. That's what makes up God. Now, who are we? Who are we in relation to that? 
Romans 8, 12 through 17 in the ESV. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you want to live as a child of God, if you want that glorification that comes next by that eternal life, there will be suffering in your life. You will enter into suffering for the things that God cares about. What does God care about? He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, the one who sets lonelies, the, the lonely people in families. We have been adopted as sons and daughters. Every single one of us who calls themselves a Christian has been adopted. We were lost and now we're found. Who are we? We are debtors, not to sin, not to flesh. The result of those things is death, but we are debtors to the Lord. We put to death the flesh and our desires, and in its place we receive adoption as sons. We cry out to our Father for help and mercy, and he answers us. We receive blessing and inheritance as sons of the king. And as John mentioned before, James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction, affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. That's what we do as believers. Now, don't hear from me that every Christian has to go off and become a licensed foster family. That's not what I'm saying. But we look for the things that God cares about. We engage in that. We die to ourselves and the desires of our flesh, and we sacrifice ourselves, and we suffer for the things that Christ cares about. If you're looking at your life, and there's this big lack of suffering and a lack of <laughs> those things in your life, and it's all about consuming and getting what you want in those desires, are we really living into the suffering that leads to the future glory? Is there evidence of our adoption as sons and daughters in Christ's kingdom? So some stats, I um, reached out to DCS and got that this week. Um, in the past six months, th this is just here in Arizona, children in foster care in Arizona specifically increased from 14,461 children to 14,767. So currently, to take care of those 14,767 children, there are approximately 3,255 licensed foster families. That is an 11% decline from this time last year. Children in care have gone up, and the families to take care of them has gone down by 11%. And every single day, 25 more children enter into foster care here in, just in Arizona. So that means there's about four and a half children for every one foster family here in Arizona. 
The children that are unable to be placed in a foster home are placed in group homes. And sometimes these children wait and sleep on floors in government offices until a place can be found to put them. I believe that every child deserves a home and a family where they are safe from abuse and neglect, where they are loved and cherished, where they are nurtured physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We talked about AZ-127 years ago when Victoria and I were first married. Um, we attended Redemption Tempe, and uh, the organization that AZ-127 is modeled after um, is based out in Colorado. One of those pastors came to speak to us, and he laid out this theological truth, which just wrecked me when I heard it. We talk about in Psalm 68 that God is a father to the fatherless. But who is the church? We're the bride of Christ. He's the husband, we're the bride. If he's father to the fatherless, we're the mother. The church is the mother of these children. Those are our children. It falls to us, not the state, not anybody else. They are our responsibility. Those are our children that don't have a home. And so we should be leading that way. As we've seen a decline in the number of foster families in Arizona, the church should be stepping up to fill that void. We should be the ones that the culture knows as those Christians. They're the ones who take care of the children that don't have a home. Now, I understand what I'm asking you to do. I am asking for you to suffer. There's a common and unhealthy view about fostering and adopting, and many people enter into this space because they want a child. They've always wanted to be parents, or they're hoping that this child fills a void in their lives, but that is not what foster care and adoption should be about. It is about you giving yourself away and your family away to the child so that they can have a family. It's not about you receiving. It is about you sacrificing everything for the sake of someone else. If you're going to enter into the foster and adoption world, I promise that you and your family will suffer. There's no way around it. You're inviting suffering into your home, and no matter the circumstance, whether foster care or private adoption, sin, suffering, and trauma have to happen for there to even be a need for this. And you will bring that into your home, and you will suffer with these children. However, I'm not asking you to do that alone. I grew up in church, um, been a Christian my whole life, and I've never seen something like what we have here at Redemption Peoria. We asked uh, Summer a few weeks ago to just kind of take a survey of the kids that are in church, in children's ministry on Sunday mornings. And over 40% of all the children over there have either been adopted or are currently in foster care every Sunday over in children's ministry. If you're wondering how to serve children in foster care, just go volunteering kids, okay? Now, that doesn't even include the siblings of those kids, right? I mean, 50% of my children are biological children and the others that are adopted. So odds are, if you go talk to any child at our church, you're talking either to a child in foster care or who's been adopted or the biological siblings in that, in that family. So we're already in that space. When I ask you to suffer, we also support each other in that. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When I think of this verse, I've used this in our seas before, and we've used it in our foster care group many times. We gather together regularly to encourage one another to step into good works, to step into suffering, but also to sustain each other in that. And for years now, we've been having our foster adoption and kinship support group. And this is a, is a community group unlike any that I've ever been in before. I've never been in a more intimate group. A lot of you guys are here. Um, and this is a group where we lean on each other for survival. Right? We show up knowing that if we don't participate in this, we can't make it. We can't do this on our own. We share our common struggles. We celebrate the successes and the progress that our kids make, share parenting ideas, help each other navigate the complex child welfare system in our state. We get recommendations for therapists. We pray over each other. When you suffer together, you are drawn together relationally, and it builds an intimacy that just can't be replicated. So if I'm going to ask you to suffer, then we're going to suffer together as a church. We support each other. We hold each other up when we cannot stand anymore. All of this is worth it. It is worth it because of who God is, who we are, and what God cares about. Hopefully here over the next week, we're going to put some dates out. You'll probably use the app. I know John wants everyone to download the app on your phone. But we're going to be having a Find Your Place in Foster Care event hosted here in the last two weeks of January. For those of you who are interested in ways that you can serve in this, Maybe it's getting licensed. Maybe it's becoming a foster family. <laughs> Maybe it's becoming a CASA or a mentor or finding other ways to volunteer in that space. And you can learn about that at that event that's going to be put on by AZ-127 here at our congregation. A few weeks after that, we'll have a basic training for those of you who want to go deeper and really pursue uh, becoming licensed. So that'll be in February. But I'm going to put this ask out there for you to look at your life, know who you are as adopted children of God, and find ways to suffer for the things that Christ cares about, the things that are important to him. So thank you guys for letting me share a little bit about my heart behind this, the reason that we care for this. We're going to spend a few minutes and watch a short video uh, from a single woman in Texas who entered into this space and hear her story. And then I'll have the Brookses and the Burrises come up uh, to chat. Thank you. People have asked, how do you love a kid that comes into your home? What's the balance of if you don't know they're gonna stay? And I think it's really tempting to just do minimal care and not let yourself become attached because it seems like it would be less painful when they leave. I look in the scripture and say, that's not like how Jesus has loved us. I am called to lay down my life for these guys no matter how long they're in my home. from being a single woman to fostering as a single woman overnight has been the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, I knew it was going to be hard. Definitely had some fears. You know, I think just practically, like, wondering, uh, could I do this as a single parent? You know, I had fears about financially, would I be able to make this happen? And then I think there's just so much unknown. Like, you don't know the type of trauma the kid would have come from or endured. You don't know their story. You don't know how they're going to act. 
that you don't know how long they're going to be there. I think there were just so many unknowns that had a lot of fears about what it was actually going to look like. But I just knew that this was what the Lord was telling me to do. So I just kept praying about it and walking forward. You know, my ideal world was like one preschool, elementary school kid that's around the same age as all my friends' kids. Um, so we can kind of do life together. But I think I just thought being a children's minister, like this kind of fits in even with my job. When the agency called, she said, we have a special case. We have a sibling set, and there's one in your age range. And she said, the other one's 14, one's 11. Even though these boys were older and there were two of them, this was not what I had planned for. I felt the Lord was leading me to, um, to say yes to these boys, so, so I did. pulled in the driveway the first time, watching these two brave boys get out of the car and walk up to this crazy lady's house. Dexter had on a polo, was buttoned all the way up, it was green, and he came up and shook my hand, introduced himself, very formal. Um, Jeremiah didn't make eye contact with me, he was a little more shy, but to be expected. I think it really hit me when the caseworker left, and it was just me and the boys and being like, okay, I'm in charge. I suddenly am a parent to you know, uh, two junior high boys and I don't know what I'm doing. The first couple of weeks of the boys who moved in was kind of like a honeymoon phase. I was off of work. My parents were able to come in town. It was around Christmas. So we had lots of fun happening. For a while they had you know, done their best to put their best foot forward and I had put my best foot forward and about three or four months in there was the real us. Their real behaviors and their real fears and um, what they really thought of the situation really started to emerge. And so that was really hard to just walk through that with them and just not even know. I mean, there's still so much of them I didn't know or understand. It was probably April or May, so the boys had been with me just since that December, so just five months or so. Their attorney came over and sat all of us down, told us that Dexter's biological dad had come back into the picture. Um, he lived in Houston, and he wanted custody. And I think all of us were just really insecure about what the future would hold. There was a lot of uncertainty ahead, and then August 5th, um, the boys moved out. I think I laid on the couch for like three days. Um, every, you know, people say their worst fear about foster care is having to let someone go. I, I, I mean, that is what happened. And it was just really hard to adjust back from being a parent to now being single. Um, and I was really concerned for the boys. I think one of the things that really helped me during that period of time um, was knowing that God is sovereign over our stories and that if those eight months of them being with me was what he had planned, then they got to you know, be loved. Um, they got to see what family um, looks like. They got to see what community should look like. Um, they got to be a part of a church that taught the gospel. And so I just had to cling to that. It was like daily reminding myself of that. Communication was kind of sparse for a while, um, and I remember it was October, and I asked them what they were doing for Halloween, and Dexter kind of was able to share just how bad things were going, and 
said he wanted to run away. The attorney quickly made a trip down there, found out that things were not going well, and removed the boys pretty quickly. I remember Dexter called me and he asked, Becca, can we come home and will, will you adopt us? And um, we were thinking, yes, but I didn't know like legally what the scenario was gonna be, um, what was gonna happen with custody. And so I told him, yes, you can always come back here. You always have a place in my house no matter what happens. And I remember hanging up the phone, and every part of me wanted to say yes to them, but the other part of me was like, man, I never thought that I would be adopting and two teenage boys at this point. And so I just started thinking of all the implications that would mean for my life. Boy, if I have two teenage boys as a single mom, like, I don't think marriage is gonna be something that happens anytime soon, which is a dream that like, I'd love, but the Lord had bigger plans. And I sure was like, yeah, this is what is to follow Jesus. Like, it means that I lay down things that I want and trust him with them and say yes and follow wherever he goes. foster care and adoption that isn't talked about often, but that is uh, really hard um, and it costs a lot. But in the midst of that, I'm able to look at that and be like, that was just like Jesus taking up his cross and following, you know, what his father asked him to do. You know, we as foster and adoptive parents can do the same, um, knowing that it will very well cost us our life. We love because he first loved us. And so I'm going to love them with all that I have. And loving them like that, no matter how long they're with me, will give them a picture of Christ's love. Thank you. Um, I'd like to introduce my close friends, Linda and Leroy Brooks, Nathan and Morgan Burris. Yeah, give them a round of applause. Um, 
These are two families that have been faithfully serving children in foster care for years now, and each come to it with different stories, different backgrounds, and then different experiences in the system itself. And, um, and I thought it was great to have them come up here and share, just imagining what it was like a few years ago, you know, before you got licensed. A lot of us sat in a, uh, maybe a church service like this and had a lot of questions about um, entering into this space. And so I wanted to ask you guys some of those questions about how it's affected your family, and hopefully that would be profitable for the people sitting here today. So I'm going to start out first with stories. So if you could tell kind of who makes up your family and then how you guys entered into the foster care space, how God called you to that. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, so my name is Nathan. This is my wife, Morgan. Uh, we have a seven-year-old girl, a five-year-old girl, and a three-year-old girl um, that are all bio. And then we have a five-year-old uh, boy who is foster right now. Uh, we have been licensed foster parents for a little over two years now. Um, in that time, we've had five kids come in and out of our home, including a boy that's uh, with us now. Um, we, yeah, we got started in foster care. Um, similarly, we talked about it before we were married. Um, and knew it was something that we wanted to do eventually and then uh, moved to Phoenix and started coming to Redemption Peoria and kind of once we uh, logistically were able to make it work, uh, went down that road. So, um, yeah, that's kind of been our life for the past couple of years. Um, our, we've been married 43 years. We have three grown children um, and we have five grandchildren and then we have eight bonus grandchildren who we were have been able to be in the lives of two of our foster um, children that we transitioned to adoptive homes and they have adopted us as their grandparents into their family, so that's been awesome. Um, we did hear um, a, really a call from our church about where is it that you are to serve in the community? What is your calling? Um, we prayed about it for a long time um, and foster care was just really laid on our hearts very heavy and we were in this space where our family was grown. Um, we had the space and the love and the time to give to these kids, and so that's what spurred us on to doing it. Thank you. Well, I'll start out really quick with the Burrises for a question for them. Um, I think a lot of families in, in the audience may be identifying or relating to similar life stages, and specifically the life stage that you guys were in with young biological children of your own in the home um, and entering into that space I know a common question would be, how does this affect your biological children? What's that like, having that dynamic come into your home? What was your experience like with that? Yeah, um, it's not easy. <laughs> it's, uh, it's wild. There's um, a lot of stuff going on. Um, I think for us, uh, like you shared, um, we know that it's important. Um, I think that the, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's debatable um, that we can talk about, but... Um, Caring for widows, orphans, and the marginalized is uh, not one of those things. So um, for us, this is the way that we felt like our family was called to do that. Um, being at Redemption has really helped because we do have a lot of support here, so that's been really great. Um, for our kids, uh, yeah, it's, it's an adjustment um, for them. Uh, so when we started, they were five, three, and one. Um, so for some of them, like the one and the three-year-old especially, they don't really remember life before foster care. Like that's just been their whole life. Um, and because we go to this church, they pretty much, pretty much all of their friends also are involved in foster care. So it's um, become a very normal thing for them, which I'm really, really thankful for. I think that's uh, a pretty amazing thing. 
Um, and seeing the way that it does impact them, um, it there's challenges, but there's also um, blessings there. I think we've seen them grow in compassion, love, and care, and uh, we've been able to walk them through the gospel a little bit. Um, pretty recently, we kind of sat down with uh, the older, the girls, uh, the older girls specifically, and talked through, um, you know, like, brother probably isn't going to be able to be back with his, his mommy and daddy. Um, so, like, he's probably going to end up being here. And um, our oldest uh, kind of got really sad, and it's like, you know, uh, I just wish they would give his mommy more time. Um, and she obviously doesn't know the, the legality behind it and why decisions are being made, but um, it was cool to see that she, she recognizes that lack of shalom, right? Like she recognizes the brokenness, and I think that's part of um, the gospel that we're able to walk through really practically with our kids and that we'll be able to continually walk through as we uh, continue in foster care and adoption, hopefully sometime, and um, all that stuff. That's stuff that we're really, really able to, to see them and they can really grasp because it's really tangible for them. Well, Victoria, I think, has a question here as well. Oh. Um, Morgan, for you, um, as you were entering into the space, I know you and I had a lot of conversations about this. What were your concerns, questions, anticipations about attachment, and how have you kind of processed through that as you've been fostering and working to adopt? I had big concerns about this because I was concerned that it was going to feel like long-term babysitting and like the other kid in our home. And um, to be totally honest, sometimes it does feel like that because we have learned that love is a choice and attachment is a process. And so we choose to love our kids all the same. But we also recognize that attachment does not happen instantly. And anybody who tells you otherwise is lying um, because it just doesn't. And, and we recognize too that even with our own biological children, we have different attachments with each of them. And some of that comes easier with one kid than another. And um, and it's the same when you have a, a child in your home. And, and attachment, I think, even within that, it ebbs and flows. There are weeks, there are seasons where it feels like, man, we're really making progress here. And then there's weeks where trauma rears its ugly head, and it's like, whoa, what is going on? Um, and attachment is a two-way street that we show up every day open and willing and able. Um, but that child carries with them a whole lifetime of story that some of it will never know. And so sometimes they're not able and they're not willing and they're not in a place. And so that's where the choice comes in, that we love them through that. And we trust the Lord with that attachment and hold it with an open hand. And where there are gaps, he has been so faithful to fill in. That's good. Thank you. Well, uh, for the Brooks family, if you guys um, could share with us. Sorry, <laughs> passing one microphone around. Um, Specifically, you guys are coming at it from a, a different life stage. You have you were empty nesters, kids are grown, out of the house, um, so you have a different experience coming into it. What has that been like in this stage of your life? You thought you were done with kids, you thought they were gone, now you're uh, still in that. So what has that been like for you guys fostering now? Um, a little crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes you're wondering why you do it, but then Whenever you get a child and you see the need, it's, it just tugs at your heart. We, uh, we get our whole family involved, our grandkids, our, our kids. They, they become a part of the family. We show them love and uh, openness, affection, and it's, uh, it's been awesome. Uh, I, we're, we're so blessed, and uh, hopefully we're blessing the children too, but it's, 
more of a blessing for us. Uh, even our grandkids, uh, they get involved and say, okay, next time can we get a little girl? Or next time can we, <laughs> can we get a little boy? Uh, so it's, it's, it's neat to see that it's in, in their uh, heart also. As you interact with the biological family, how has that dynamic been a little bit different? Due well, to our, our, our biological great, uh, uh, kids, our children, raised children already, uh, they get a little jealous, that, yeah, our biological family. And so even specifically yeah. with the biological family of the foster children in your oh, home? Oh, uh, right? they feel the biological family of the, of the foster children are, feel less threatened with us because they know we're not trying to take their children. We just want to keep them in a safe place. So uh, we've able to build a better relationship with them uh, than some people maybe wanting to just have a, have a child, have their child. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot less threat there. And uh, so at our age, uh, I guess that's a little easier. All right. Uh, the, the last question I was going to ask you guys, um, specifically a lot of times, and even sometimes birth family believes this as well as, as the children, but um, a lot of times we think of foster care means you've got to adopt the children that come into your home. Now, you guys have been in a unique situation where you've had eight bonus grandchildren, uh, none of whom you've adopted um, without that intention. So what has that been like for you guys um, knowing that you're not moving into this for adoption? Um, it's definitely uh, difficult because we grieve each time a child has to be moved, but it's also been such a blessing to be able to move them into adoptive families. I feel like God has tasked us with having those children um, walking through that process with them until they're ready to go to an adoptive family, or we, in one instance, we did have one return home to mom. Um, and we're kind of bridge that over, and then we get to transition them and help them with that process. Um, and then there's two children that we've remained in their lives, and we've been able to be in contact with them. And it's amazing to watch them thrive in their new families, um, be a part of their families. These are the two that they asked us, will you please be grandparents to all of our children? Um, and so it's been an amazing adventure. Um, we've gained some very precious relationships. Um, and being able to minister to the families too, as there's you know always things going on in families where they need support. So um, that has been really a great experience. Thank you guys. Well, Guys, can we give a hand to these guys?